0: The Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So, for the probably hundredth time you're going to hear this, Happy New Year's to everybody. Yeah. 2023. Where has the time gone? I used to tease or try and wind up my nana uh, when I was younger. I would, uh, I, was, I would tell her how many years um, and what year until I was like 15 or 21 or 30. And she would freak out and say, no, 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 you, you can't think about that. You're going to stay young forever. Uh, yeah. Thankfully for her, I, um, I actually ran out of fingers and toes to, to do the calculations, the math, to go anything above 30 but I'm well and truly past that now. Does anyone know the origins of a New Year's resolution? I had no idea. I had to ask Google. Apparently 4,000 years ago in Babylon, that's where it first started, and the Romans were the first ones. They took it on board, and uh, they would make promises to their god, uh, Janus, who, who was renamed January. That's what they named January after. So they would make all kinds of promises to him. And uh, actually, early Christians apparently adopted this. They would try and uh, be better, as it, as, it, as I read. Uh, they would practice spiritual reflection at the end of the year. So yeah, according to surveys, 83% of New Zealanders at the beginning of 2023 made New Year's resolutions for this year. And uh, the most popular in order was this: sweating. No, sorry, saving, sweating. And sleeping. Yeah, pretty obvious. Save more money, spend less money, lose weight, get more sleep. So, funnily enough, spiritual well being didn't even make an appearance in the top 15, unless it's included in other. It was things like work less. I can relate to that. Travel more or find love. Yes, so today we thought it was appropriate that the theme would be, uh, if you could call it a theme, fresh starts. And our focus scripture is Psalm 51.10. You're going to have to use your phones and your Bibles. I don't have any slides today, so not good enough. Oh, I figured New Year, no slides. I'll wait a second for everyone to get there and then I'll read it out. Psalm 51.10, well known. All right. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So, this psalm is often attributed to the psalmist David, so known as King David, better known as David that slew Goliath, to most people. But these words that we read here in Psalm 51, they're not the words of a a tough, handsome young shepherd, brimming with energy and enthusiasm, ready to take on the giants of life. These are actually the words of a middle-aged king, broken and desperate for God's mercy, Desperate for a second chance, a fresh start. So, the context of how David got to this point in his life uh, is actually found in 2 Samuel. So, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. I'm going to run through that quickly so we know kind of how David got to this place. In chapter 10 of 2 Samuel, we find details of David uh, victorious. He's winning battles, um, descriptions, 700 chariots being destroyed, 40,000 horsemen slain. David himself leads the charge across the river. It's your classic David stuff. But in chapter 11, we read the following. Chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Job, one of his generals, and his servants with him, and all Israel, And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, their city. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So while David's armies marched off to battle, this time David stayed home in his palace at the newly conquered city of Jerusalem. And verse 2 says, And it came to pass at evening tide that David arose off his bed, walked up onto the roof of the king's house, And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look at. Yes, this is scripture. (laughs) I know it's a bit PG-13, but it actually goes on to say, and David sent and inquired after the woman. He asked people about her. And someone said to him, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so at this point, David's definitely, definitely not... Oh, where'd you get slides from? You're clever, Samuel. You are clever. Okay. So, so at this point, David is definitely not living the life of a soldier. In those days, soldiers would wake up early. They would go to bed early. But David is, is channeling his, his inner teenager. He's still in bed in the afternoon. After he finally gets up and goes for a stroll, he sees something that he likes Um, But it's been made clear to him. People have said to him, she's off limits. Uh, She's the daughter of one of your trusted soldiers, and she's actually the wife of one of your generals. So you'd think that would be the end of that, right? After all, David's got plenty of wives, and God himself describes David as a man after his own heart. But it's not the end. In the following verses, the Bible talks about David sending messengers to get Bathsheba, a literal DM who comes to meet him, and they sleep together. It isn't 100% clear if it's consensual, uh, but at that time, let's remember that David was pretty much a rock star. Um, He was handsome and brave. He'd won all these battles, um, but he was still sensitive. He was an accomplished musician. He wrote poetry, and his men worshipped him. He was now also a powerful king, with all the riches and perks that came with that. And he had a reputation of being favoured by God himself. So we can say that David had it all. So he would have been quite a powerful person to say no to. He would have been quite alluring. But despite that fact, that he had it all, he still had the severe lapse in judgment. And uh, unfortunately for him, things are just getting started. Because Bathsheba comes to David afterwards and uh, gives him news that have brought both joy and terror to men the world over. I am with child. Modern translation, I'm pregnant. So now David has an even bigger problem. Um, because her husband has been away at war. So there's no way he could have gotten her pregnant. And without going into the gory details, the Bible makes it clear that she wasn't pregnant before sleeping with David. So this is one fine mess that he's got himself into. David writes to his general job and he asks for her husband Uriah to be sent to see David. We're thinking here at this point, hopefully he's going to tell him the truth face to face, man to man. But David has other plans. He puts on this big feed. He acts friendly. He asks Uriah, how are things going? He tells Uriah, go home, wash yourself up, spend time with your wife. Uh sounds nice on the surface, but you see David's trying to pull off a cover-up. He figures if Uriah goes home, sleeps, in his w- sleeps with his wife Bathsheba, then everyone's going to think the baby is his and not David's. No one will know the wiser. But the thing about Uriah is he's a faithful man, and he can't bear the thought of sleeping and eating uh, and sleeping with his wife while all the other soldiers are sleeping in tents on the battlefield. So he goes and he sleeps with the other soldiers in the barracks. And when David finds out, he's suitably frustrated, he invites Uriah around the next night and proceeds to get him rip-roaring drunk, hoping that that's going to change his mind. But Uriah continues to sleep with the other servants and not with his wife. Okay, so at this point we think, David, chosen by God, a man after his own heart, surely this is the time that you'd confess, get everything out in the open. David sits down and he writes a letter. Nice. Nice less intimidating than face-to-face. He can give all the details. Uriah can read it on his way back to the battlefield, give him heaps of time to cool off. Perfect. He gives a letter to Uriah and sends him on his way. The problem is, is that this letter is not addressed to Uriah. It's addressed to David's chief general, Job. And it says, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. So far from being an explanation and an apology, this letter is effectively Uriah's death certificate. A messenger is sent back to David in due course. He tells him that in order to make Uriah's death unsuspicious, other men had to die as well. Here now surely, faced with the consequences of his actions, David would regret his decision to cover this all up and confess the truth. But the Bible records his response, and it's paraphrased as this. Some men die today, and some more will die tomorrow. Keep on fighting, and take the city. Pretty cold-hearted, right? (laughs) The David we know and love is is like barely recognizable in this chapter. How could it all go so far astray for him? Uh, For me personally, uh, a story like this is all too relevant. I've said it here before, but when I first encountered the Lord, I was on fire spiritually. Reading the Bible was a delight. Uh, I would talk to God like I would have a conversation with you and I right now. I'd laugh with him. I'd ask him questions. I'd hear responses. I'd drift off to sleep filled with peace. And even when I was getting ridiculed for it, um, I would take joy in the fact that I was suffering for being a Christian. I wore it as a badge of honor. I started to notice that people were starting to notice me. Uh, my joy was infectious. It seemed like people were just drawn to me. And to be honest, it felt good. I felt special. My flatmate was struggling with it all. You see, he'd been my partner in crime before I accepted Jesus, and I could tell this was a big change for him. In all honesty, I, I, uh, I felt a bit sorry for him. Um, his life was just this chaotic mess, just as mine had been a few months prior. And uh, one night, he was in this particularly depressed mood. And in my, this like stupid attempt to relate to him, I found myself getting high with him again. I smoked, smoked some uh, drugs with him. And um, at the time, I wasn't even worried. I thought, like, I'm completely different now. Um, I'm doing great. Nothing can harm me. I'm, I'm special, right? Uh, looking back... <laughs> I hate to think what well, that one decision cost me in terms of spiritual development. Um, because within three months, I was, I was doing more drugs than I'd ever done before in my life. I quit my job over the phone so I could stay home that day and keep getting high. I found myself back here in New Zealand, three minutes down the road there, uh, broke, discouraged, and living back home with my parents. So I beat myself up and think, how did I get back here <laughs> Um, where did it all go so wrong? And this got me pondering about David and this particular sin and, and, and the source of it uh, was it laziness, the fact that he stayed home and spent his days sleeping, or was it was it lust? Could he just not resist the opposite sex, um, or was it power? Did he just want what he couldn't have? I think looking at it for me, it was they, those things all played their part, but. I put it to you that the real issue for him was pride. If humility is, is the opposite of pride, and we've often heard that humility is, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, uh, then pride can manifest itself as, as self-importance, self-entitlement. Uh, thinking, Believing you're better than others, that you're more than others, that you deserve more than others. So it, it might have been realistic to think that David had thoughts like this I'm like, I don't need to go with my men into battle like the other kings. I've just won a huge, bat- a huge victory against the Syrians. Why, why can't I rest and spend my time surveying my kingdom? Or I don't have to pay attention to the rules that everyone else follows in society or God's rules themselves. I can do what I want. I'm above the law. If someone is married, they're off limits to everyone else, but not to me. And maybe a thought like, these are my men, and it's my choice if they live or die. I'm in the best position to decide. I've been anointed the king. The people should serve me, even if it's with their lives. So David either thinks he's done nothing wrong, or or that he's in complete denial. After all, the kings of other nations do what they want, uh, when they want, so why shouldn't he? Uh, They even sacrifice babies and torture people for fun, so really, in comparison, he's kind and loving. The Bible certainly doesn't mention David losing any sleep over what he did. In fact, after... Uh, Bathsheba goes through a mourning period of her husband David sends for her and marries her But in that verse in Samuel eleven twenty six at the end it says But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord So David may have been able to get away with his adultery and murder He may have been able to keep this a secret for everyone else But not God In Proverbs fifteen three, it says The eyes of the Lord are in every place Beholding the evil and the good God doesn't stay silent on the matter either. In chapter 12, he sends a prophet called Nathan to King David to tell him a story about a rich man and a poor man. So this rich man and a poor man are neighbors. And Nathan says to David, uh, the rich man has exceedingly great flocks and herds, and the poor man only has one small lamb. And this lamb is so special to his family. It says that uh, the lamb eats from his this poor man's plate and cup. It's grown up with his children. He's raised it since birth. He cuddles it against his chest and he considers it one of his children. One day the rich man had a visitor and he wanted to give him something to eat. So instead of taking a lamb from his own large flocks, he goes and he grabs the poor man's lamb. He kills it. And he cooks it and he gives it to his guest to eat. So, upon hearing this story, the Bible says that David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, the rich man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing will surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. How sad that pride and self righteousness often go hand in hand. So, David is all too willing to condemn someone else to death. That's committed a crime no greater than himself. But thank the Lord for Nathan's, because he's having none of it. You're the man, he says to David. And he goes on to explain that God gave David everything, and it still wasn't enough for him. And because of what David's done, God's going to let his family be consumed by the sword, his wives are going to abandon him, and everyone will know what he's done. It got me thinking, imagine if someone called out North Korea's Kim Jong-un like that, or Vladimir Putin. David had already arranged the murder of a close friend. What was a pesky prophet to add to that list? But finally, here we see the man after God's own heart that we've been waiting for this whole time. I imagine what would have seemed like an eternity, David confesses and says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. After that, heartbroken and repentant David writes Psalm 51. A prayer to God that contains our focus scripture. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So now we know a bit of a backstory. Uh, we know that this scripture here, um, and if you could just stick with that one, Samuel, uh, for the rest of the time, that would be great. We know that this scripture came from a man that had it all but still couldn't get it right. Um, Not only that, he got it very wrong um, at the cost of other people's lives. The Hebrew word for create is is bara. And it it means to create, clearly. It, It means to shape. It means to form. But the special thing about this word is that it's only ever used with God as the subject. So it only ever honors God as the sole creator. So when David asks, create in me a clean heart, O God, essentially what he's doing is asking for a miracle. He's asking for something only God can do. So yeah, David in his, in his uniquely prophetic way, he's, he's like looking forward to a New Testament promise where believers are going to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, the law is going to be written on their hearts. When we try and do things in our own strength, we normally go one or two ways. And it's my belief that the adversary or the devil or whatever you want to call him operates best in the extremes. So I I don't think he likes balance. I think he wants us in one ditch or the other, uh, never straight down the road. So I believe these two extreme attitudes hinder us when we're on the journey or stop us from even pursuing a uh, a fresh start in the uh, first place. So the first one would be pride. So on one spectrum you've got pride, denial, self-righteousness. I believe we could put David's initial attitude down this way. Things like, I don't need to change, I'm fine the way I am, everything is great because I say it is. I don't need a fresh start, I'm doing things my way, and that works just fine for me, uh, despite the consequences or effect on others. Others are the problem, not me, I'm special, I'm not as bad as some others. Plus, if people knew that I didn't have it all together, it would be embarrassing and my ego would potentially be hurt and I can't risk that. And then you've got the other side of the spectrum. (laughs) The I'm too far gone, I'm past help side. I've had too many chances, too many fresh starts, too many second goes and maybe too many hundredth goes. Surely God has given up on me by this point. But we see that both of these attitudes are wrong, whatever the circumstances, because the Bible says that that God resists the proud, so he resists that side, and he gives grace to the humble. It also says that he's near to the brokenhearted, so you'd be better positioned uh, in God to be a brokenhearted sinner than you would be to be a self-righteous religious leader. It's reported that up to 90% of people who commit to making a fresh start with a New Year's resolution will abandon it by February. (laughs) And I've been part of that statistic. Why is that? Most studies or surveys list at the top a lack of discipline as one of the main factors, along with a reduced amount of zeal or motivation for the actual thing they wanted to change. David prays, renew a right spirit within me. The Hebrew word for right being kun, meaning established, sturdy, prepared, ready, firm. The request for a clean heart is a, is a request for a renewed zeal, for a renewed motivation. That's the driving force of the vision or the focus. David is acknowledging that the only way this fresh start is going to happen is if God makes it happen. And what was David's part in it all? Confessing and being willing to change. David even says later on in Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: if you wanted sacrifices from me, bulls and cows, if you wanted me to give up TV or any of this other stuff, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't mean anything to you. You don't want those kind of sacrifices from me. If, if you did want them, I'd give them to you, because David, David had plenty. It says the sacrifices of, a, of the Lord are a broken and contrite heart. That's the sacrifice he's looking for. So often we desperately want the change, but we don't want. We you know we don't. We want the change. We don't want things to stay the same, but we feel ashamed that people are going to judge us. Uh, we feel helpless to actually carry it out. Today, like every other day, God is offering you the power to change. You just need to accept it. And in reality, we have nothing to lose and, and everything to gain. Those those top resolutions. In 2022, does anyone remember what they were? <laughs> it's funny, the ones that stick in people's minds saving, sweating, sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Are those bad resolutions? I'd say not in and of themselves. I mean, according to the Bible, we're supposed to be careful with our money, try and leave some of it to our kids if possible. 1 Timothy talks about the fact that exercise is of benefit, uh, physical exercise. Too much sleep is condemned in the Bible as lazy, but it also talks about God giving sleep to those who he loves. But I'd put it to you that if you're pondering on potentially committing to a resolution, uh, I advise that that it relates to your relationship with God, not just because we're in a church at the moment, because although saving and getting fit and and sleeping well are beneficial, without God's centred focus, they're kind of senseless, Uh, they're purposeless. Jesus said that if you seek his kingdom first, he will add to your life all the things that you need, all in his perfect timing. Jocelyn, you brought up John 15, to 7 about abiding in the vine. So Jesus said, if, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you'll bear fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. So for this year, maybe you've come off a, a spiritual high. Maybe it's been your best year yet. Praise the Lord. I can't relate. He, God is so good to us. But but we can take a lesson from David. Don't rest from the battle. Uh, we all know well that the devil's a he's a roaring lion. He's prowling about. He's seeking who he can devour. If we continue to give the glory to God, we don't let pride sneak in. Or Maybe you've been trying to serve faithfully, but... Sin has crept in, and you feel like you've drifted off course. When Nathan told David about the rich man and the poor man, I believe God was reminding David of the king that God had called him to be. After all, before David was a king, he was a soldier. He followed the orders, not gave them. And before that, he was a shepherd. So God anointed the shepherd. (laughs) That's who he anointed to be a king over his people. And shepherds serve the flock, not the other way around. They give their lives for the sheep. They don't take the lives of the sheep. That's the kind of king God wanted over his people, a servant, not someone that wanted to be served. So maybe to some this could be reminded reminder that Jesus is that perfect shepherd, the model person to follow, and and maybe this year could be a chance to refocus on him rather than our own interests. And then you get to the people that are close to my heart, which is the ones on this side of the spectrum. The people who say, I've, I've had enough chances. I, um, uh, yeah, how could God forgive someone like me? Look at all that I've done. Well, I don't need, to, I mean, we've talked about David. <laughs> That's someone specially chosen anointed by God. He committed adultery, murdered a bunch of people, and didn't confess to it until he was, had to be confronted. So even if you've done all that, God actually spared david 's life. Uh, david condemned himself. There were two witnesses there needed for that for that. Um, Nathan was one, and David condemned himself. but if you 're on that end of the spectrum, uh, this is this is what I felt to bring i 've asking someone if they 've got a favorite verse is like asking someone if they 've got a favorite movie. Different movies, different times, <laughs> different different things. If you feel like getting lifted up, you watch a comedy if it 's Christmas we watch whatever Juliet tells me to watch. It's, it's always specified for the situation. So in that situation, when someone's questioning God's faithfulness, Isaiah 49 has a verse. Maybe it is my favorite verse. And I'm going to paraphrase it. No, not that one. The verse is for a season. Oh, yeah, cool. To put some context to it, I know not everybody has the situation but I do. I speak from my experience. I grew up in a loving household and I know that my parents would do anything for me. So when I read this verse, it's particularly special for me. God is speaking in Isaiah 49 to his people. He's speaking to Zion. So that's his people, that's us. And he says, a woman, a mother, would give away, she would abandon her young child, her firstborn child, her young Child that is still so young that it needs her to survive, that woman would abandon that child before I abandon you. So, for me personally, <laughs> that sits heavy with me because I know I've got a mum who would do anything for me. So, if God's saying that she would abandon me before He would abandon me, to me, that says a lot. And for me personally, I feel like some of my best days, like David, are when I ask for a miracle. Something that only he can do. So for me personally, my resolution this year is to pray more prayers like this. God, I don't have enough love and patience in my heart to deal with my difficult workmate today. Please bless me with your love and patience for him. God, I don't have the wisdom to speak into this situation Could you please bless me with yours? God, I don't have the motivation or discipline to start over fresh, but I know I need to. Would you please create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me? So my prayer for us all (laughs) is that our resolution would be to daily put our trust in him, to rely on 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 his strength over our own, to trust in his faithfulness, instead of our own shortcomings. So, I'm going to let the Word of God do the final speaking. And I'm going to read Psalm 51. So, I'm going to do something a bit different. I like it in the Bible when it says that people stood for the reading of the Word. So I would ask if we could stand. If you'd be able to, hey, close your eyes, open your eyes, let let the words wash over you. To me, this is David's legacy. <laughs> have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, That thou might be justifiers when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desireth truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins." And blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver Thee, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, will thou not despise? Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering, with whole burnt offerings, and they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. In Jesus' name I pray over us all. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.